Blog Talk Radio. One evening, an elderly Cherokee brave told his grandson about a battle that goes on inside people. He said, my son, the battle is between two wolves inside us all. One is evil. It is angry, envy, jealousy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and, and ego. The other is good. It is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, kindness. Benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The grandson thought about it for a minute, and he asked his grandfather, he said, well, which wolf wins? The old Cherokee simply replied, the one you feed.
Oh, yeah, let's go. Good evening, good afternoon, or good morning. It all just depends on what part of the world you are listening. Okay. Namaste. Welcome. Good evening. Yeah, I said that already. <laughs> it is February 18th, 2021. Welcome to another episode of the Great House Effects Radio Show. My name is Will Green, holding down one half of the host duties here. Holding down the other half, the Lions historian, my dad, Bill Green. Um, before we get going in tonight's episode, as always, we like to remind everyone to grab a pen and paper, a pencil and pad, a post-it note, a marker, the back of those envelopes you're not using anymore. <laughs> I <laughs> forgot about those envelopes. <laughs> or whatever you got. Um, maybe you've got some questions. We want to make sure you don't forget those questions. Maybe you might pick up some things tonight uh, that we're talking about. Who knows? Maybe you want to take some notes. But the main thing is uh, we want to make sure that if you do have questions, you don't forget those questions. Because here on the Greenhouse Effect Radio Show, why use 100 words when 1,000 words will do? I still think that should be a hashtag that... uh, Anyway, hashtag a thousand words. <laughs> Maybe a T-shirt. <laughs> hey, a T-shirt will work too. That's right. We get our marketing program off the ground. That'll be hot. Uh, <laughs> the other reminder is uh, to let you know, ladies and gentlemen, if you are listening online, the chat room is open. Um, I was thinking about that brother the other morning. We were on the. Uh, on the prayer uh, yesterday, Wednesday morning, we were on the prayer circle, mm-hmm. and somebody liked that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to throw that out. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. The chat room is open, ladies and gentlemen. If you are listening online, you can access and engage the chat room with your free Blog Talk Radio account. Blog Talk Radio should be hooking us up on some royalties or something. But we're going to get to that another day at another time. But uh, and, and finally, uh, you can call in at 516-453-6094, 516-453-6094. Press 1. That will put you in the queue. Let us know that you would like to chime in and talk to either my dad or, or me, maybe. I don't know. Hey, so what's happening, Daddy? How are you doing tonight? <laughs> what's up, Wilfredo? Oh, you know, man, uh, you know, I'm I'm. Go ahead. I'm just saying, it's, it's crazy what a, a difference a week makes. Man. But I think we wind up saying that every week. <laughs> every week. <laughs> yeah. It's just a different degree of deep. That's all, man. But it's it's been deep, mm-hmm. that's for sure, man. I'm, I'm wondering, we might just be the only ones on tonight, man, you know, because of, of the weather, the power outages, you know. Um, <sighs> Yeah, snow folks might be. Yeah, they might be all snuggled under, you know, candlelight, you know, just trying to stay warm. It's been yeah. something here in Texas, I know that. It's It's been yeah. wild, man. You know, I mean, like, um, you know, when I was in Chicago, I know that we would have our bouts with power, but usually it would be local. 
you know, and maybe a couple of days, whatever. But, you know, it, it wouldn't be statewide, you know. It would be, you know, restricted to certain parts of the city mostly. But here, man, you know, I didn't know until yesterday that Texas has its own, you know, power grid. You know, there's the east and there's the west and there's Texas. And um, I just listened to the news all day because, you know, first of all, I thank the Lord that we've been blessed in this house, that all around us where there's been power outages, you know, right here in this hut, you know, we've been blessed, man. We haven't lost a minute, you know, of discomfort that so often I, people say it's taken for granted, but I don't know how much it's taken for granted because it ain't free, you know, mm-hmm. so, you know, you you know, you kind of expect to get what you pay for. But if that's right. taking it for granted, then, yeah, we're guilty as charged, you know, as charged. <laughs> but um, there are so many who have paid for services that they haven't gotten, and my question is, will they get rebates, you know, instead of right. jacked-up costs? You know, it's a trip, man. I mean, to be in the midst of such a catastrophe, and, you know, like Texas is not – winter friendly at all so it's no snow plows it's no salt and so you you know you're at risk out here on the on the streets me and sister brenda braved the elements to go grocery shopping out of you know out of necessity and man it was it was um it was it was chicago i i can't say it was it was you know spooky or anything like that it just reminded me of so many chicago Winners, you know, yeah. um, and, and but you know, I could tell that folks here haven't experienced anything like this, man. It, you know, it's like, what have we done? Have we offended God? You know, what are we gonna do? You know, and we had a family staying with us, you know, relatives for a few days, you know, because they had lost, you know, power. Their whole little, their whole city, their small city, had lost power, you know, and uh, okay. they're back home now, you know, but mm-hmm. um. You know, it was um, yeah, yeah. It was something to experience that, and having to deal yeah. with my little attitudes, you know, my territorial assumptions along the way, you know. But I got the lessons. I don't think I did too much damage either. You know, you um, said so that anyway. you didn't do too much damage. You said you didn't do too much so. damage. Yeah, I'm hoping I didn't. You know, with my territorial old man behavior, you know, I think I stayed out of. <laughs> I think I stayed in the back, locked in my room, <laughs> out of the way do you, for the most part. Do you still you know. do, you, do you still walk around with a with a stick? No, man. No, no, no. I don't walk around with a stick anymore. <laughs> I try. All I try to do now is not walk around with a scowl. You know, hey, wait, wait, yeah. you know, these people do it over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, get off my lawn. <laughs> I'm going to get from myself, man. Get off my line. So anyway, it's it's been um it's been an amazing process. Um, this whole this whole endeavor, this um this this catastrophe, man. So yeah. anyway, yeah. Um, shifting gears. How you doing up there, man? You guys have had like you know a trough of snow. <laughs> Man, they, they, a, a trough. Exactly. That's exactly yeah, what it's man. been. Uh, lad, it's like slathered. You know, slathered in snow. That's what it's been like. Yeah, um, yeah man. 
Yeah, you know, just the snow just keeps coming. You know, it just keeps. I mean, like today I was outside. Uh, I took a break yesterday, but you know, I've been shoveling snow since what Sunday, something like that. You know, because <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, That's so you know, people be like, yeah, you know, people like, why are you shoveling snow? You know, since Sunday, because you know, I'll just let it sit and wait, and then I'll shovel it. You know, but there's. You know, that's, you could, you know, even with a snowblower and all that stuff, but you just yeah. don't know how the snow's going to settle. You know, there's right. certain things that, yeah. you know, being from Chicago that, you know, we, we know with the snow. So, yeah, right. I mean, even even today, I, I, I was digging out uh, mom's truck, digging it out the snow, you know, and just mm-hmm. when I finished, it, it started snowing again about 4 o'clock. So. <laughs> it's all right, man. You know, that's it's all just, right. That's you just know, what it's I, been. But mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead. No, I'm just saying, just fortunate enough, and I'm, and I'm I'm thankful, you know, to um, you know, be able to do the show tonight and have electricity and have heat. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that you all um, are okay, you know, and yeah, was able to amen. provide and was able to provide shelter for somebody else. You know, yeah, uh, so yeah. you know, I don't really think that's definitely that's definitely not taking it for granted because you're giving an opportunity for somebody else. So that that's all blessings and gifts, right there. Amen. As far as I right on, man. Right on. You know, I, I, somebody, I've never really, I've never really subscribed to that idea of waiting till the snow stops the shoveling, because all that means is that you have that much more to shovel. You know, to me, I mean, it's not like, you know, it, it, I'd rather go ahead and knock out three, 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 three than 18. <laughs> you know, man. <laughs> man, I, I've never, I've talking never about inches, that ladies, We're talking about yeah, inches, inches, 18 yeah, inches of yeah, snow that was yeah, that built. Yeah. Yeah. I was so talking to, like uh, I, yeah. Also, I, I was just, you know, just checking in. You know, I've been checking in on as many people as I as I, you know, could be. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, they were checking on me too. But one of my guys, mm-hmm. he was like, uh, "Yeah, I, I haven't shoveled anything yet." And it's like, bro, yeah. right. <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> right. yeah. My back, right. my back is screaming. My back is screaming. Yeah. What's wrong with you, man? <laughs> man, I, I had I had the audacity, man. There was um, an accumulation right outside the front door and parts part way into the driveway, and there was a shovel. Mm-hmm. I guess the neighbor neighbor returned the shovel, and so man, I went on and busted some snow, you know, and some some blocks. It turned out to be, you know, um, and tossed it. Man, I only did maybe about maybe ten feet, and man, it was mm-hmm. like, dude, you know, <laughs> what, are you, what are you trying to prove? <laughs> You know, man, I had to check myself, man. It, it, you know, like, yeah, man, you're 73. It don't matter. You yeah. know, like shoveling snow is, is tricky. You know, you don't feel yeah. it until you, till you stop for a second, man. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, at, at 30, 40, and 50 even, you know, it's all right. But at 73, it's like, all right, you know, you're going to have to stop pretty soon. It's going to catch up with you. So I dropped that shovel, man. It went on about my business. I said, no, that, that you know, like, that, that's not. And on top of it, you know, at least in Chicago, you get to stay in snow shape. I ain't had to touch a, a, a snow shovel in seven years. <laughs> man, 
says, no shape. Yes, yeah, no shape, man. Yeah. Down here, man, you know, they have, you know, two seasons, January and summer. <laughs> you know, like, I ain't had to deal with none of this stuff, man. It was, I had, you know, it was, it was, it, you know, it came back, but just the memory came back, not the strength. <laughs> like, man. Anyway, so I, you know, we could make a whole show out of this, right? Man, <laughs> the winter, the winter storm of you know twenty. I mean, how do you? It's just February, yeah. twenty twenty one. Yeah, I mean, man. Just, yeah, but that's crazy. It's it, it's really it's scary. You know, it's scary, man. I really, um, you know, at first I'm like, oh, they'll be okay. They just got hit with this snow and it'll be over. Usually, you know, it's like you get hit and then it's gone. You right, know, maybe a right, day or yeah. two. You know, maybe a day or two. You guys are shut down. You know, maybe three, and then things would be okay. But at least you all have power and stuff. But you know, mm-hmm. at first I'm like, you know, kind of, you know, I mean, I'm not, you know, it's just kind of chuckle chuckle because being from up north, before all the power was going out, you know, it was like, you know, mm-hmm. you guys got hit with some snow, you know, so you know, deal with it. They'll be okay. But right. looking at what's happened now with, you know, no electricity, and some some people still haven't had electricity. You right. know, still don't have it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is, um, you know, it, yeah, here, man. This is this ain't done yet. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's I mean, has there, is there any, any, uh, any idea when everybody will have electricity again in Texas? It, it all depends on, on what news show you happen to be listening to, man. The bottom line. Is they they weren't prepared for this. They had op, they had ample time, like ten years, to upgrade, but they chose to take the cheap route. And they had a couple weeks before the front came. They they they, they had ample warning, but they couldn't crank up the system to a common. You know, this is Texas, so the generators do their work in the summer. You know, and and the summer. Is a long stretch here. We're talking about sometimes from April through September, you know. Um, and so these generators, they kind of, you know, go into hibernation during the winter, you know, because they've done their major work, you know, because winter here is maybe it'll dip down under 32, maybe a couple times, you know, come throughout the winter. Um, maybe get a little, little, little frosty, but no big deal. But they weren't prepared. They couldn't even get them generators fired up, man. They couldn't get, you know, the people. It was a lot of. So it depends on who you, who you're hearing, you know. Um, and don't listen to the governor of Texas because he's just lying his ass off about everything. You know, what I mean, like he's. Oh you know, man. You know, he's still. Oh he's, man. He's lying. He's lying about. I mean, just it, it's no point in even trying to point out what he's lying about. It's easier just to say he's lying about everything. You know, and just leave it at that. So, but it's supposed to get up to the fifties in, in by Sunday, and by this time next week it'll be up into the sixties. So this would just be a you know snow wise, it'd just be a fleeting memory, but it's going to leave its wounds as far as what people have been through, and you know uh, a lot of tragedy tragedy in a very short period of time. But it doesn't feel like a short period of time when you've never been through anything like this before you know so you know you know so um the trauma you know is going to be long reaching so you know you can speculate i think safely 
within a week or two, you know. Um, but, of course, hopefully, you know, uh, by this time next week. But we're talking about millions of people statewide. You know, when Brenda first told me that a couple of days ago, you know, I thought, Brenda, if it was statewide, it would be all over the news. Ten minutes later, it was all over the news. <laughs> like, yeah, see that, man? You know, sometimes people know what they're talking about. So anyway, man, um, on a on a on another note, you know, uh, Trump Tower came down in Atlantic City, you know, um, and you know, um, met its end. And it, there's a metaphor in that. I think, you know, um, I think the timing was intentional because it had been standing there unoccupied for like the last five years or so. So, you know, like to all of a sudden pick now to demolish it. And it's not like he owns it. He doesn't own it anymore. But anyway, I think just watching that tower come down in Atlantic City, it's almost like, yeah, you know, there it is. And another thing, man, I was reading on um, somebody sent something, posted something on Facebook. And, you know, I had to really deal with my, uh, your boy, Black Tables on. What's up, Mike? Yeah, we oh, hang, what's up? What's up? We, All right. Yeah, we, thanks, we for tuning, thanks for tuning in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, but I, something posted about LeBron James, man. In the fourth grade, he had no steady home for years, lived off of welfare, slept on friends' couch on friends' couches, had no ride <laughs> to school, and missed over a hundred days of class, and never played organized sports. You know. Mm-hmm. And today he's opening a school for children who 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 have been like him, who have lived under situations like his. And you know, I had to look at that for a second and pause because you know I got issue with my boy, you know. And but my issues with him aren't as a black man; it's like as a basketball player. And and as a <laughs> consequence, I tend to ignore the work he does as a young black man, you know. And I got it. I gotta, I gotta, you know, I get give my man some props, you know. I mean, you know, I still got, I still, I'm still dealing with Mike withdrawal, right? And you know, mm-hmm. and um, it's all a sports thing, totally a sports thing. But when it comes to anything, you know, <laughs> you know what this cat is doing, man. Right on, LeBron. You know, um, I'll, I'll, I'll focus more on your, on your work on your humanitarian work and, and just turn off your games when you're playing. <laughs> oh, anyway, you know, I just thought that was outstanding. And also, man, I thought about you. Another post, you know, someone had posted about the Million Man March, you know, and the mm-hmm. comment they made was that not one single person stormed the Capitol building, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that made me think about you and Jeff, you know, and just bringing it close to home for me. And it's like, well, because they know what they were there for and what they were there for had something to do with consciousness, you know, and like, you know, all those brothers and sisters had one thing in mind and it wasn't that, you know, that, that privilege that right. those folks engaged in a couple of weeks ago. Also on a personal note, man, I'm hoping I can get through this. You know, one of my childhood buddies, man, uh, William Pookie Johnson, some called him Hoppy. That's what his dad called him. I knew his dad. Uh, his dad was a detective in Chicago, and he died in a. He and his um, partner were on a car, and mm-hmm. a, a car hit him and killed him and his partner instantly. Man, 
and mm. it was, wasn't too far from where we lived when it happened, you know. And his dad, you know, big dude, you know, um, rambunctious, but friendly as heck, man. And, you know, Pookie is what I called him and what some of his friends in the neighborhood called him. Man, that cat was a star on so many levels to me, you know. And, um, you know, I, I always had a thing about brothers when I was young, you know, like Pook was maybe a year older than me, but he could grow a mustache and a and a beard, you know. <laughs> he was a teenager, man, and that just all that just made him look grown to me, man. So I, and he was a hell of a baseball player. And he always included. I mean, he was like a star ball player, and um, to be included in games that he played in. Him and um, another partner of mine, uh, Ronnie Scipio Spinks. He and Ronnie were forced to deal with on the diamond. Ronnie was eventually drafted by the Cubs, you know. Um, but these two cats, man. Um, they they wow. were, they were, they were, yeah, they were really, um, they were my childhood dudes, man. And and I learned from his cousin, you know, that he died today. And you know, you read it, and it and and it's like okay, and then it hits, you know, a few seconds later. And you know, he was living homeless in somewhere in San Francisco, and he had all kind of mental health issues, is what his um, cousin told me, you know. Um, like, you know, over the years, you know, because uh, I was just wondering about him, and, and his cousin filled me in, you know, and nobody knew how to reach him. Nobody knew how, you know, how to how to grab him. So, you know, um, it's just I, I didn't know him like that. I knew him, you know, like when we were young, you know, and um, it's just, I don't know, man. It's just something, you know. So, anyway, I, I wanted to just... Wow. Pay homage to the brother. Yeah, man. It was, it was, right on. You know, quite a dude. Right on. You know, say, we spent many summers me. together in Alton, you know, um, at, his, at his grandpa's uh, farm-like house, you know, in Alton, Illinois. We spent several summers there, you know. Uh, it, it was just, you know, me, him, and his sister. And I can't remember his sister's name, you know. But, um, you know, and, and, and it's like a whole summer, just the three of us, and really just me and him. And we made a whole summer out of it. We absolutely had a ball, man. You know, so wow. You know, what you, yeah. Wow, man. Yeah. And, and, say, yeah. and uh, can, would you mind what's his name again? William Johnson. You know, um, and his nickname was Pookie. You know, Pookie. Um, but his dad called him Hoppy. I think he was William Johnson Jr. I'm not sure, because um, his dad was Mr. Johnson. You know, I mean, you know, we, we didn't know, you know, we didn't know anybody by their first right. name. You know, they were Mister and Missus. That's how we knew them. Yeah, that was his first name was Mister. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so, that's know, right. That's how it was when we were growing up. Anyway, you know, um, yeah, man. So anyway, I just wanted to get that shout out to the dude and a shout out to y'all too, man. You know, y'all did the march. Y'all did Washington right, man. You know, and. um you know, those were just the highlights of something I just wanted to touch on, and I guess we should also, make, well, you know, maybe now mention about next week's guest, or do you want to wait till near the end of the show? Uh, no, you can mention it, please. I, I like to okay. my heads up, you know, instead of waiting till Monday and Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, next week we're going to break, we're going to break, you know, stride. We're going to knock down some, some walls, you know, and, and, we're going to interview our first female, 
you know, guess, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, and I, I didn't ask her for permission, so I'm just going to just say her name as I know it, you know, uh, Janice Mohammed uh, Griggs, you know, and she'll be talking about several things, and women's empower her William her women's empowerment group for one, and several of the other things that tie right into when we interviewed Ray. You know, um, much of her work you know correlates with his. So um, I think it I think it, it it will make for quite a time spent. You know, I'm looking forward to it. Man. Amen. All right. Outstanding. And outstanding. Yeah. And, you know, moving right along, right? <laughs> <laughs> Let the parade Sorry, my, my timing is off. My my apology. Uh, that's all right. Yeah, delayed reaction, you know, the six second pause. I get it. But we got it in anyway. Yeah. Um and you know, as you know, I'm still dealing with um, this manifest destiny thing, man. Every time I think, you know, I've connected the dots, another one appears. Um, well, yeah. Perusing, yeah. Yeah, per, perusing the news waves. Yes, just yesterday. Yeah, I need to stop doing this. I came across something that piqued my interest. You know, it stirred a faint memory, and I decided it was time to delve a little deeper. You know, um, there's only been 11 black senators for the 232 years that the Senate has been in operation. So that's what roughly about one every 20 years. And that would be, you know, maybe something digestible until we look at the fact that there hasn't, there was a, there was a time of a, a block of time from 18, 75, I think it was, 1881, I'm sorry, um, through 1967, before we had another black senator. So we're looking at 86 years where there just were no black senators at all. You know, and then, of course, again, we're looking at that block of time from the late 1800s on through, you know, the 20th century, you know, and so that in itself is what got me, but I was reading about, you know, these black senators, especially the first two, Hiram Ravels and Blanche K. Bruce, you know, and very different, you know, but but very similar. Different in how they lived, but similar in the fact that they both were from Mississippi, you know, but they were both appointed, you know, because Mississippi was just getting its, its stride going and it needed to have representation. So, you know, over the course of time, these two brothers wound up. You got to remember, Mississippi was was black dominant population wise in the 1800s. You know, as many southern states were. Which, of course, you know, we get so busy talking about the migration, we forget about the population where it was before it migrated. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah. um, the thing about Ravels and, and Bruce, you know, um, and this is where the dots kicked in again, especially with Ravel's, you know. Um, he was, um, first of all, challenged, you know, by by being appointed. The challenge was raised about, you know, his, his right to his post. Tell me if this sounds familiar. You know, his birthright suggested that he didn't have a right 
to hold an office. And that in itself is, is, has been, you know, the common theme, right, you know, the birther issues. But when we start connecting the dots, Ravel's citizenship was questioned based on an, an, an 1857 Supreme Court case that ruled African Americans could not become citizens of the U.S. And it's like, hmm, what case was that? Oh, Dred Scott. <laughs> so here we go again, you know. And, it, you know, again, the quick reminder, Dred Scott, you know, yeah, he was a slave in the state of where he was, but he and his slave master moved to Illinois, which was a free state. And so my man said, how can I still be a slave when I'm in a state that's free? And the only way the Supreme Court could justify it was, say, was to rule that African Americans could not become citizens of the United States. You know, and so this is what they wanted to use to keep Ravels out of um, office, but obviously it, it, it failed, you know. Um, and so people may ask, oh, and then the thing about Bruce was that he was born into slavery, but over the course of time, he lived not only a privileged life, but he himself was a plantation owner, you know, and his issue with the black population, although he was a fierce proponent for uh, black soldier rights, you know, his main constituency didn't really feel that he was sensitive to their needs, you know. So how do we have that long block of time where we have no black representation? Well, it's because, you know, we were still over that period of time dealing with the reality of, you know, um, the racist tactics that were used to keep, you know, black folks, you know, from voting more or less out of office, you know, literary, literary, literacy tests and property ownership. Well, all those things were outlawed with the Federal um, Voting Rights Act. But again, we're talking about an act, not a bill, you know. And so, you know, like acts are pretty much determined by the states that enforce it, you know, not by the government that turns it into a law. So it's like a, an act and a law are two very different things, and that's something to explore in you know future shows. But anyway, I just again yeah. connecting the dots. It's like I can see why it can be frustrating to explore United States history for somebody like me because so many things that we've just been conditioned by, or I've been conditioned by, to find you know, the the disparities, and then ask myself, well, how could I have believed so many things that I believed growing up? Well, it's because those are the things I was given to believe, you know, like America being the home of the free and the land of the brave, you know, the land of the brave and the home of the free, however it goes, you know, America being God's country, you know, the land of milk and honey, the purest, the purest state, you know, all these things that I would see in movies growing up, you know, and not even paying attention to the racist dominance of this puritanistic point of view that suggested, you know, if you're white, you're all right, you know, because America's about democracy, and just kind of invisibilizing myself to make that picture work. So if I'm watching John Wayne, you know, mowing down Indians, you know, or I'm watching war movies where the Japanese soldiers are being caricaturized, you know, with squinting eyes and big buck teeth, teeth, you know, um, I, I, then, of course, I'm not going to pay attention, you know, to Tarzan movies, 
the Zambamba movies, the Sheena of the Jungle movies, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to notice that it's the same, you know, African tribes that they show for all these, you know, white heroes in Africa. They all running around, you know, with grass skirts on, you know, buckeyes and big lips and, you know, acting like savages and, and thinking, well, yeah, it would be, it's only righteous that Tarzan would be there to save them from their savagery, you know, because only he could talk to the animals. <laughs> you know, right. and growing up and watching this stuff, man, it's the amazing, you know, hypocrisy of America makes what has been going on so po- so possible. So just looking at, you know, just those 11, you know, I already mentioned Ravels and, and Bruce. Edward Brooke was the first elected um, senator by popular vote, and he, he ran from he, he held his um, office from 67 to 79. Ed, Edward Brooke was Republican, you know, and uh, he wasn't one who was big on being um, a hero to black people, but he was big on being a a, 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 a true spokesman for all the people. And I remember him, you know, I remember him um, during that stretch, especially the 60s. We know how turbulent the 60s were. And, you know, he was a smooth brother. You know, um, there's a contrast. There's, to me, my opinion, there's much of a contrast to him um, and Thurgood Marshall, you know, Thurgood Marshall's being um, Clarence Thomas and with him being Tim Scott. You know, it, 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 it's and, – and Tim Scott and Edmund Brooke, Edward Brooke were both Republicans, so we're not talking about a different party representation you know it's just such a a contrast you know then after him was your girl carol mosley brown you know first black female senator you know Mm -hmm. and um i met her i met her at a um, cable show when she was running you know she hadn't been elected yet we were both on the cable show not at the same time hers was right before hers was the first show and mine was the second so we had a chance Mm -hmm. to meet in in the um waiting room you know, and it was it was it was it was cool talking to her, and I felt yeah. good about the fact that that I sincerely wished her, you know, a favorable outcome. You know, um, and you know, we we had a little moment, man. Yeah, that was that was very special. Of course, I wouldn't expect her; she would have no reason to remember me. But that was a, that was quite a moment. And then after her, of course, Barack Obama. You know, so we got the first black female senator. Then we got the first. Black male president, both out of Illinois, baby. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And then Roland Burris, you know, he didn't even finish his term. He kind of, I don't know, he defected. I'm just going to say it like that. He just kind of <laughs> disappeared in, in the shadows. You know, he blamed <laughs> it on health and all that. You know, and I'm just going to leave it alone. You know, he was he, he was Roland Burris, man. You know, and yeah. Tim Scott, I had no idea that he was elected eight years ago, you know, in in, in 2013. I thought he just popped into the scene, man. That's how you know obscured he has been until they decided they needed to bring that brother out. You know, and, you know let's prop you up, you know, by the door, old spook. <laughs> anyway, you know that's that's me and my racist talking. And uh, William Cowan, you know, he filled in for John Kerry after Ch- Kerry stepped down to um, become Secretary of State. You know, but again, he only lasted for six months. And then he just kind of, you know, um, disappeared. And then Cory Booker, who we know, you know, and he's still there Mm -hmm. from 2013 on to now. And Kamala Harris, 
you know, who elected in 2017 is now vice president. But with her going into the president's vice presidency, there are no female, black female senators, you know. Um, and I think, you know, that, I mean, I think it's cool that the governor replaced her with who he did, being a Hispanic, you know. Uh, but I think it would have been even cooler if, he, if the dude had replaced her with a Hispanic female. But that's another argument mm. for another time. You know, it's only fair that California start giving some of that state back to, you know, Hispanics anyway. <laughs> so what the heck, you know. So anyway, right. um, and then, of course, there's Raphael Warnock, you know, Reverend Raphael Warnock, you know, um, the first senator to be elected in Georgia and, you know, the one who was sworn mm-hmm. in this year. You know, so we're going from the first to the last, man. You know, right on, right on. It's just eleven. And again, go ahead. Just, uh, just reiterating. You said only eleven. 11. Yeah. Yeah, eleven. Eleven in the two hundred and thirty-two years that the Senate has been in operation, only eleven have been black. You know, that, I mean, I, I think, you know, it's not so much talking about the eleven, you know, because of course they're going to be special. But it's, to me, more about, you know, from a perspective of American history, you know, it definitely should be something talked more about. How could that be? Well, for that stretch of time, for that 80-plus years, that's when we were dealing with so much um, of Jim Crow law, so much of uh, 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 of the issues that, that even today we're struggling with, not just around equal rights and civil rights, but voting rights, you know, and, and this has had its deterrent effect, which by design, you know, has had its greatest impact on black folk. This ain't something that some evil cabal invented, you know, in the late 1800s. <laughs> this was by design, you know, by by them, them dudes that people like to hold up in this high esteem as being the, look, man, if Bounding, I was white, they would be my heroes too, man. They would be my heroes too if I was white, man, you know. No question about it, you know, but I'm not. And they were, though, growing up. I mean, they were, you know, America was, you know, everything about America growing up, man, was was the bomb. It's like, man, so blessed to be here, you know, and they're living up north, you know, so blessed to be here and up north and just dealing with the issues of racism up north but thinking, well, but ain't nobody, you know, spraying me with hoses and attacking me with dogs so we can hang with this little bit of this comfort that we're dealing with until King came up and got hit with a brick and said he has never seen the hatred anywhere in the South that he experienced up North. That brought it home. You know, then suddenly, you know, right at my doorstep anyway, I was working at the Chicago American newspaper, which was in the Tribune Tower, which is the Tribune was a newspaper, was a, was a uh, right-wing Republican newspaper, as was the American. Sometimes the daily news were more democratic. So I'm right in the Tribune Tower, you know, like the 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 the, the, the crowning jewel of repu- Republican, you know, Republicanism. And right across from the desk where I sat, you know, was Jack Mabley, who was uh, one of the um, columnist editors of the Tribune, and he was writing a series of articles that were condemning the the open housing marches, you know, that King was leading. 
And one day, um, and, and and I didn't know, you know, I just kind of looked at the dude and just kind of marveled at, you know, man, this cat, you know, he's like right there, you know. I mean, I wasn't a fan of his, but I marveled at the fact that I was right there next to him. I mean, he was right there in right. the, you know, same office, man. I mean, he was just a few desks down from it. Um, and one day he came over. I was working at the um, what was called the picture desk, and the Chicago American had a picture page. It was just a page of pictures of current events. And uh, I worked with the editor of the picture page. It was like four of us who worked at this um, this one spot. So that was kind of special, you know. Um, I got to wear a suit and a tie or a shirt and a tie when I showed up to work. You know, I was a copy boy, but I was assigned to the picture desk. So I got to wear a tie, but the copy boys just ran around like in T-shirts, gym shoes, or whatever. So, you know, it was kind of, you know I felt kind of special, <laughs> you know, showing up to work with my little straw hat on, you know, my little shirt and tie, you know. And um, one day Jack Mabley walked over to the picture desk, and he stuck out his hand, standing right, I'm sitting, and he's like towering over me. He said, I'm Jack Mabley. You must be. And he said, you know, the name of this cat who was a college dude who was also assigned to the picture desk who was just working there for the summer. And he said oh, wow. it was a white dude. It was a young wow. dude. And, um, and, the, and the white dude said, no, that's me, Mr. Mabel. And the cat dropped my hand like a hot potato. Like I just, all of a sudden, <laughs> poof, I just disappeared. You know, and, and, and he walked over to the dude, and they had a conversation. It turned out this college dude was writing rebuttals, you know, right, and putting them right in his mailbox. Mabley's mailbox rebuttals to his articles that he was writing about the uh, marches. And um, afterwards, it just so happened that I was leaving work. Uh, the white dude got on the elevator with me. I forgot his name. But he said, uh, he asked me what I thought about that episode. And I told him I didn't think anything about it. And he said, what, you know, he was questioning me about my, my feelings about Mabley's articles that he was writing. It's like, man, you know. I had nothing to do with that. I know nothing, <laughs> you know. And the dude said, how could you be so indifferent when it's your people, in so many words, he said, your people whose who civil rights are being challenged. And I said, you know, um, in essence, I said, hey, you know, it's it's rough out there or something like that. But what that cap didn't know and what he would have never known was that there was no way I was going to share with him what I was really feeling, you know, um, yeah. And he couldn't even come close to what I was really feeling because all I could think about, first of all, I'm working downtown, and I'm working in the hub of white America. And, you know, this this little brother who spent five and a half years in high school and suddenly, you know, no college, anything, and all of a sudden this is the environment he's working in. And, you know, like he had never left the hub of the south side, and even though I had a sprinkling of white relatives of mixed marriages in the family, they were family. So I had never really experienced the white world like I did working at the Tribune Tower. So all I could think about was when I was 11 years old, you know, the um, our social studies teacher, Mrs. Stratton, passed around this magazine, a, a jet magazine, had a picture in it folded back, and it just showed the bloated, you know, um, body of somebody black. It wasn't Emmett Till. And in the belly of the bloated body with three letters carved into it, KKK. And that's when, you know, um, the consciousness of racist America hit me, 11 years old. And that picture was, you know, um, in, in, embroidered in my mind. And that's all I could think about But that college dude was talking to me. And there was no way I was going to risk 
raising the ire of a population that could do, you know, such a hideous um, deed to somebody black. To me, you know, they could do it to anybody black. And the fact that they could bust King upside the head with a brick and, and nobody was arrested. I mean, it's just, imagine that. We're just People were just parading down the street. And the police were there. And folks were screaming and hollering, throwing shit. Excuse my language. And, you know, you know, the police were just, hey, this is, this is the price you paid for coming up here with all this crap. It was going through Marquette Park. I mean, you walk through Marquette Park now, you can't believe that at that time it was all white. Right. You know, but again, he was marching for open housing. And he's black folks, man. So when I watch, you know, what, what's the continuous picture of these white people who, who stormed and a few people of color, yeah, but that was just for effect. You know, the storms, you know, the Capitol building. And and, and this is still a, a, a debatable issue, you know, when, when you know, all my yeah. life, all my life, I've watched black folks, you know, deal in, 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 in different degrading ways, but always with such, for the most part, you know, with such class, you know, and such dignity that almost makes me angry, you know, um, that it's just so easy to just degrade somebody who you know is not going to fight back, you know, and and how you can easily wipe out those who do fight back, you know, so you contrast, you know, Malcolm X, the Black Panther Party, Fred Hampton, you know, which this movie's out now, you know, and um, and, and Dr. Martin Luther King, you know, and of course, whenever you mention King, then you got to mention Gandhi and Mother Teresa and Bishop Desmond Tutu, you know, and Jesus Christ, you know, so... It's like by any means necessary doesn't get an evil bill. It, you know, with you know, with peace. You know, just, like wait a minute, wait a minute. Fair. You gotta wait your turn. You gotta wait your turn. Wait a minute here. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. You know, so you know, so that's what that cat couldn't have known what was going through my head. You know, and that's what he couldn't have known that this is a history that for me at 19 years old didn't know I was about to be drafted into the armed service. You know, but at 19 knowing that that history is a history that nobody ever talked about, nobody ever shared. So since I've been on this show and this manifest destiny thing, man, it's it's just, I don't know how to explain it. Well, it's opened up a, a, a part of me that has been longing to know, you know, the peace that has been missing in regards to who I am. You know, it's like it's no matter how much I write about my life growing up, there's still been that missing part of me represented in this country that weaned me and knowing that that voice has never been heard, only the voice that the editors of American history approve of. You know, and, you know, you know my favorite saying, until lions have historians, hunters will always be heroes. And that's the only history I've ever gotten is the history of the hunter and never the history of the lion. So when I'm reading about, you know, these presidents, and I know that, you know, nobody pays attention to them, but to me it means everything now to read about the era of presidents from Lincoln through Truman, you know. And I know in a future show we're going to talk about the presidents from Eisenhower on through, you know, to today, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I know you, you have already got your eyes on Ike, you know, be like Ike. That was his cry when he was Eisenhower. <laughs> the last 
the last military leader, you know, uh, of the president. He was a general. You know, he was a general. Five star, right? Yeah, yeah. Five he was star. a five star wow. general. He ran the European theater during World War Two, you know. So um, MacArthur had visions of occupying the White House, but because of his battles with Truman, it wasn't going to happen. But Eisenhower, you know, was in in high favor, you know, because again, you know, that 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 war. You know, was against you know against racism. Isn't that ironic? <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. you know, it's just so. Of course, you know, the icon of American ideals was represented by Ike Eisenhower. You know, I mean, let's not talk about dropping the atomic bomb on on those dirty Japs. You know, because you know those squinty-eyed, buck-teeth, you know, heathens deserved it anyway. You know, that's the way we got it through the propaganda of the war movies. You know, and you know, so we've always been exposed to the lie of Americanism, as everybody has. But when you don't have your own history alongside of it, and you only have the one that, that you're allowed to study, then you just take what you get as being fact and not fantasy, because you have no way of comparing it. So when I'm reading about Manifest Destiny and what it opened up inside of me during that stretch of time of the 1800s, it's everything that has defined American society as we know it. And I tell you, I just want to do this real quick, and I'm going to step out the way because I know you got, you know, a lot to cover. Um, I'm not going to spend nearly as much time as I planned because I didn't intend to talk as much as I did about that that had nothing to do with what I thought I was going to talk about. So it wouldn't be fair to um, to take up additional time, you know, and I want to get out your way, man. Because I think mindfulness oh, is a perfect man. topic, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I just want to draw just a little light, you know, to um, the ugliest presidential election in history. No, not this one. Not the one with Trump and, and Biden, you know, but the one that was with um, Rutherford B. Hayes and and um, and his opponent, opponent um which I don't have right in front of me, but of course I'll come to it as I go through my note, my notes, you know. Um, but the point being that you know, from for how it all unfolded, there's just certain characters, you know. But the thing that that is important to remember is that um, that ugliest presidential election, even though this sounds familiar, you know, was was ruled by fraud, voter intimidation. And backroom deals. It sounds very familiar, right? You know. Yeah. Uh, but how the story unfolded was that somewhere around midnight, Daniel Sickles, you know, was heading home from a play on election day in 1876. He happened to stop by the Republican National Headquarters and found the place nearly deserted. GOP presidential candidate Rutherford B. Hayes was losing so badly that the party chairman went went home and got drunk. He just figured it was over with. But Sickles was a former uh, Union general, and he, he noticed something about the early returns, which gave um, – okay, this was the guy who ran against Hayes. You know, he noticed something about the early returns, which gave Democratic New York Governor Samuel J. Tilden a large lead. If the, flo- if the four states were the res- – if the four states were the results – already were um, in dispute, went to Hayes, he would win the presidency. 
by one electoral vote. Now, think about Trump when you think about Hayes. If the four states where the results already were in dispute went to Hayes, he would win the presidency by one electoral vote. Does that sound familiar? Sickles sent telegrams under the name of the sleeping party chairman of the drunk dude (laughs) to Republican leaders in the four contested states urging them to safeguard votes for Hayes, saying, with your state, sure for Hayes, he is elected. With your state, sure for Hayes, he is elected. Hold your state. And the four states were Florida, Louisiana, South Carolina, and Oregon. You know, Oregon. Well, that's another story for another time. You know, so similar to what Trump claimed, backers of Hayes, you know, who was the governor of Ohio, charged the election was being stolen. The difference, however, was clear evidence of fraud and vote intimidation, voter intimidation. The outcome not only would decide the presidency, but also would lead to nearly a century of racial segregation in the South. You know, so at the time, Tilden led by more than 250,000 popular votes from the 38 states, but he was one vote short of the 185 electoral votes needed for victory. Hayes had 165 votes. Charges of intimidation of black Republican voters in the three disputed southern states were filed. Southern whites were rebelling against black political, um, against, against black voters um, who were um, politically granted, you know, under Reconstruction, the right to vote through President Ulysses Grant. You know, in South Carolina, a majority majority black state armed white men, you know, a majority, okay, in South Carolina, a majority black state, meaning that South Carolina was pretty much dominated by a black population, armed white men belonging to what was called then rifle clubs, and dressed in red shirts had arrest republic had harassed Republican voters. The red shirts killed six black men in the Hamburg massacre. Uh, the paramilitary group backed a former Confederate general for governor and threatened to kill the governor, Daniel Chamberlain, along the way. So I could go on and on with this, but the point being, this it's in, incredible how similar the themes played out. And of course, in the end, um, a black Black, a backdoor deal, you know, was struck that allowed Hayes to become, you know, um, president that really, you know, was what had so much to do with why we went 86 years without a black senator. So I just wanted to cover just a part of that. You know, there's a lot more, but time, you know, constraints. I just want to just refrain from reading the whole story, man. So anyway... I'm going to let that be the closing chapter of Manifest Destiny and, you know, like move on to future topics and future shows. <laughs> so thank you for your patience with me, uh, your plotting through this. We, yeah. we, we, said, we said we were going to move past Manifest Destiny, I think, like two weeks ago, maybe even last right. week. I don't remember. But maybe last bring it back right. up. Yeah. No, no, I'm saying like as early as last week. <laughs> so don't say that we're going to put it to the side Because I know we're going to bring it back up again But um, uh, Hayes was What what time period again uh, Was Hayes Yeah Hold on just a second uh, We're talking about You know his his presidency Ran from 1877 to 1881 He was a one term president 
So, okay. you know, it's a matter of, of – and he came right after Grant and mm-hmm. right before Garfield, who was assassinated six and a half months into his term. You know, so – but we're looking at, you know, just a, you know, a short block of history from 1861 – to 1881, just 20 years, you know, and we're talking about Lincoln, Johnson, Grant, and Hayes in just those 20 years and how those 20 years shaped, you know, the fate of black people in America when it came to civil, equal, and voter rights. There it is right there. And all of what was dealt with, you know, on the heels of the Civil War was about, you know, um, Jim Crow laws. You know, uh, it was about, yeah, even though y'all free, don't think you're going to get a chance to live that way, you know. Um, you're only free by poc- by proclamation, you know, but by no means free by attitude. You know, just, that right. just fascinates me that we just talking about a short 20-year period has had a devastating effect on the consciousness of black folks ever since. Because we're talking about... We're we're talking about that that um, pivotal time of moving from slave to free, you know, of moving from slave to what we call ourselves today African American, and all that in between, still fighting the same fight, man. Still fighting the same fight, while white people still. When I mean white people, I mean lawmakers are still playing with the rules, you know, still playing with the rules. Whether it's zoning rights, whether it's Gentrification, whether it's all these, you know, zoning—not zoning rights, but zoning moves—you know, uh, you know, still playing this game, man. You know, and when the electoral college was designed for the very issues we're dealing with, you know, when popularity should be, you know, the the, the focus, politics, you know, play the rule, man. All right. Hey, Amen. I'm done. <laughs> so, twenty years. Uh, I mean, like Just even that after we had, yeah, man. we yeah. had those issues of land. Uh, I remember we mentioned uh, right after Lincoln was assassinated because because that's mm-hmm. where the whole forty acres and a mule were around that time with Lincoln, right? And so after no, he was with, assassinated, with Grant, that was really that was really being that pushed was, by U.S. Grant. Yeah, you know, forty acres was one of his. Mule. Gen- yeah, and it was one of his generals that, um, you know, that offset that, you know. But um, the idea was born from from Grant, you know, and, you know, um, Woodrow Wilson reinforced that to get elected. He promised that that would be, you know, what all black folks would get if they voted for him, you know. Um, but, of course, we voted for him, and that was when we realized <laughs> the trickery of the, of the Democratic Party, <laughs> you know, so. You know, it's an amazing thing, you know. But, you know, we became, that was like the shift in time where we moved from Republican to Democrat, and we didn't even really know why, because we believed in the 40 acres and the mule idea, and we never really discussed the fact, because we didn't have cable news. Say, we've been tricked, we've been hoodwinked, we've been bamboozled, we've been duped. (laughs) So anyway, man, and we've been duped ever since. Wow. My my notes is like going all over the place. I mean, I'm like you said, Lincoln, Johnson, Grant, Hayes, Garfield. Yeah, just those four. Yeah, and then <clears throat> and then you know, and then on the heels of them, you know, again, you know, when you look at 
Uh, you know, most presidents that we hear the names, they just uh, they're so obscure. We don't even think about when they were president, more or less whatever right. they did. But we're talking about Garfield, Arthur, Grover Cleveland, Benjamin Harrison, Grover Cleveland, and again, William McKinney. So we go through McKinley. I'm sorry. We go through this stretch of time from 1881 to 1901, and then we get to a name we kind of recognize, you know, Theodore Roosevelt. So we're talking about another 20 years now. So now we're talking about 40 years, you know, from 1861 to 1901 before we see a name we kind of recognize, you know. But between Roosevelt and and the next Roosevelt, we have Howard William Howard Taft, Woodrow Wilson, Warren Harding, Calvin Coolidge, Herbert Hoover. You know, I mean, names again. You would know Warren Harding if you watched the TV series the Boardwalk Empire, <laughs> you know, but other than that, you know, they would strike a bell. You know, Woodrow Wilson again, you know, 40 Acres and the Mule, you know, William Howard Taft, who, you know, you know, um, Calvin Coolidge, you know, who, you know, Herbert Hoover. Yeah. We kind of know the name, but we think more of the James. Vacuum cleaner? We, yeah. The vacuum yeah. <laughs> you know, the, you know the Hoover Dam. You know was named after him. Oh yeah. But you know, yeah. You know, what did he do? You know, so then it's not till we hit Roosevelt. But then that's when it, you know, that's when it seems to really become presidential. When we go from Roosevelt, you know, to Truman, and maybe that's just when history started really noticing the impact of presidents. So suddenly they weren't obscured anymore, and then we start going from you know Roosevelt to Truman to um, Eisenhower to to, to um, Kennedy to to um, was it Nixon Reagan yeah um, Ford uh, you know no Nixon Nixon Ford Carter Reagan Ford yeah Carter Reagan and then we look at Carter and yeah. Reagan you know and, but I mean suddenly you know maybe it's because we're all kind of connected through this generational stretch is why these names are more familiar I don't know. But, you know, or maybe the news outlets has something to do with it. But the themes are starting to reveal themselves, man. And the issues aren't yeah. that new. You know, these are as old as the as the founding fathers, man. <laughs> right. All pun intended, yeah. sounds like. Yeah. So yeah, even man. With, it, when look, what, is it, uh, is it, I know, um, man. Is it even is it so surprising then to uh, see an acquittal happen? No, to... no, 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 no. Because this was the way it was. You know, people keep wanting something to happen based on our values. It's got nothing. When our, our I mean, American society and by and large, it's got nothing to do with our values. It has to do with the values of the founding fathers. You know. People keep wanting to say, but they made it this way so this wouldn't happen. No, they didn't. They made it this way so they wouldn't have to be, so they would be protected. You know, you can, you know, you can pick at the Constitution all you want, you know, but you're not going to find any rule of law in the Constitution that is directed toward, you know, the founding fathers. You know, they, they designed something that is constitutionally tight. You know, that's why, you know, people were speculating. They're getting, you know, scholars yeah. on constitutional wow. law, you know, 
and and all they could do is just give you know empiric approaches. They couldn't give hypothesis. There is no hypothesis when it comes to the Constitution. There is no governing factor that gives you a clear understanding of what each aspect of the Constitution was by design intended to do. You know, I mean, where you can see it right there. You know, you can argue about gun rights. You know, but we're talking about people who had muskets. You know, there ain't going to be no mass killings with somebody walking to your office with a musket. You know? <laughs> with a musket? You got to keep reloading. Go, man. <laughs> you know, come on, man. You might drop the bag of ammunition, the bag of whatever. Man, so. man, you know. Blunt you put butt. the stick in there, get it in there. Man, you know. <laughs> A lot of people running around screaming and hollering, throwing chairs at your ass. You know what I mean? Yeah. Drop your powder, it's all over, you know. So, you know, Bang, it's just, done. but again, but again, it's the descendants of those founding fathers who feel that their rights are the rights of America and not everybody who's been using the Constitution to justify equal rights. You know, cause, you know remember, every time there's something that is given to something that isn't white and male and privileged, that means they're having to give something up. You know, and and the fight that we're seeing right now is that they're tired of giving things up. You know, that's they feel like it's just constantly and unfairly being taken from them. Their rights no longer protect them. That and they have every right to feel that way when that way is how they've been raised. And this is the yeah. way we've been taught. You know, man. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's what you. That's how they've been raised. That's what they know. I mean, it's, that's what they know to be you, true. That's what they know. And there's no, and there's no American history taught in the classroom that's going to contradict that attitude. You know, so if you want to change the attitude of the people, change the history they're being taught. You know, man, it ain't that hard to understand what needs to happen. But of course, it's just that difficult to make it happen because that means you're going to have to give up the lie. And folks are not. Uncomfortable enough yet to give up the lie They'd rather fight for the lie Than give it up man. Too much to be lost if I got to give up the lie So I'd rather even believe in QAnon You know than believe in equal rights man. Give me anything Give me anything or give me death <laughs> <laughs> Is that the new call? <laughs> That's the new call yeah. Give me Google give me or give it. me death That's what that sounds yeah, like <laughs> The roll of the dice. Jeez. Man, you know. Yeah. Let's see how it goes. So, yeah, man. Yeah. So I, I see this, so, I see Jan with Janice was on for a minute. I think she jumped, but she said she was gonna have to jump off to go deal with her empowerment group. You know, so maybe she'll get back in time to jump back on. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. But next week should definitely should definitely be yeah. next week though. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. I think I think it'll make for a lively show because she is truly a bundle of energy, man, nonstop. <laughs> All right. So you Next week you might want to caution your you might want to caution your listening audience to put aside the pen and pad and look for a recorder. <laughs> you might not have enough time to be trying to write things down. Yeah, it's gonna be coming fast. <laughs> well, they can still okay, utilize man. the chat room. Or uh, they could even call it. 
you know, uh, they, you know, ladies and gentlemen, this is not just for uh, just something that you can just listen to and not engage. Right in. You know, we 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 True utilize that. Blog Talk Radio because we want you all to engage with us as well. You know, and the chat room Absolutely. is open. You know, and and I'm glad that that Jan did you know chime in. Like Gable does chime in, you know, every week, and so does some other people. Right. But right. you know, you can still even call us and talk to us. You know, we can engage in pivotal conversation or even just bannering. You know. <laughs> and and understand, y'all, that, that that Will is very caller friendly. He ain't like me. You know, so <laughs> you know, he'll take the lead in that. So you don't have to worry about. <laughs> well, I don't know, up. man. You. You you've taken the lead a couple of times in those situations too. So I'm I talking mean, about but, now. I'm talking about now. I'm talking about not then. I'm talking about as a result right. of that. We, we changed our philosophy. So you're yeah, well, talking more directly with Will. I'll be muted. I'll be screaming and howling and throwing stuff against the wall, but I'll be muted. With my fist in the air as I scream yeah, aloud, yeah. poking holes in and the sky. I'm right. muted. <laughs> oh man, no, it's you know that's what they enjoy about the show too. So that's what yeah, I enjoy well, about doing this. With you me. don't get the hate mail, I get. <laughs> I oh, get. come on, man. Let's let's, let's get on to. It. I want to hear more about um, mindfulness, oh, man. You know, oh, 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 oh. man, man. I mean, you know, where 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 can you really begin with mindfulness? I mean, it's. <laughs> So many things uh, that that's happening, and, and it's like, yeah, so many different things are happening. My mind's going crazy. This is crazy. I, I'm I'm thinking about like, you know, I'm thinking about Nolan and his family in Houston. You know, I'm thinking mm-hmm. about, you know, uh, making sure my mom is snowed out of, you know, that she can maneuver here in Chicago, and and, and let alone just worry about. You know, being safe, and, and I got to take care of me. And so many, so many things we're thinking about. People, no jobs, and all these things. So many things are happening. Um, you know, so where where do we begin with, with mindfulness? And we've talked about it. Being in the now, uh, being in the moment. What exactly does that mean? Um, and one thing that that I, I think I, I can say, you know, I can speak for you. I think for a hot second that what we do here on this show is that we provide uh, insight, perspectives, uh, things for us, for people to learn, you know, and to grow, Uh, whether it's physically, you know, your mind and talking about manifest destiny and looking at history and having conversations with younger kids uh, and, 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 and really giving the, giving it what it is, Giving it to what it is, or however the, the saying was, <laughs> well, they say that you know it's real or whatever. Um, well, whether it's the, the physical or the spiritual or mental, or even economically, you know, that we hear about supporting one another. Um, and there's so many things that's happening. This dude got acquitted again, you know, um, mm-hmm. again, and that wasn't even a mistake. He got acquitted again. Two times in one year. Man, you know, in a, in a world where we, I don't care where you come from, we we talked about being responsible for your action, that there is some some moment where you will, 
have to pay for what you do. You know, there's choices, there's consequences. And, uh, and you know, and, and seeing that acquittal, it's like, man, where's the um, – I'm sorry, I'm getting all a little political for a second. But anyway, all these thoughts that's going on, just like right now, it's going on in my head. Being in the now, not getting so caught up in all this stuff, and we've talked about these other things. So I had wanted to share just some some simple things in in explaining and talking about mindfulness. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I thought it'd be better to just kind of just be transparent for a second because I'm kind of learning about this also because my mind, as you just heard, goes a thousand miles a minute. So many things is going on in my head. Um, and so what I wanted to share when we were starting, I wanted to start out with just five ways to uh, practice mindfulness. Mindful practice. Let's call it mindful practice. You know, even just the short term of mindfulness sounds so, sounds so, ooh, <laughs> so a little intimidating. So we'll say mindful practice. And this is just something that we can continue. You can that I try to continually that I try to do uh, to develop some consistency and develop habits. So there's five things okay. that, I, that I'm still working five. on. Okay, five. There's, there's okay. five things that that I'm personally working on right now um, to develop this habit that eventually I'm going to do every day. And I'm working with it mm-hmm. right now. I'm still haven't done it yet, but these are just five things that I'm working on right now. So. Um, one of the things is when my mind is going a thousand miles a minute, like I just mentioned, I try to stop what I'm doing and take a breath. You know, I, I know when my mind is going all over the place and um, and when I'm not being productive. So um, take a breath. Be intensive and taking that breath. Take a breath. I'm going to shorten it, take a breath. Because if I say stop what you're doing and take a breath, I don't want people that's got other people's lives in their hands or maybe you're driving or something like that. I don't want you to stop driving or I don't want you to stop operating or I don't want you to stop, you know. <laughs> well, okay, but come on. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> you didn't like my you didn't I mean, like this, my humor this is right a, there. No, like this that. is a this is an important point right here to to you know to be aware of 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 the circumstances you know and the, and that moment of overwhelm man that's that's a very good point you know to you know I mean life is determined by breathing you yep. know and how many of us you know um, hold our breath at moments of crisis you know or panic. You know, and instead of training ourselves to breathe through it, even at times yeah, like driving or, or you know, or having somebody's yeah. life in your hand. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Man. No, because we because we hold our breath and don't even realize it. You know, when those yeah. moments of of panic or something like we we yeah. suck it in and, and don't even realize yeah. that we're holding it. You know, sometimes, which is, you know, I mean, it, that's what happens. So. So when I do this, so what, what is the purpose of taking this breath? Somebody's probably asking. Well, mm-hmm. I take a moment to notice the sensation, if you will. The, the, I, could, I was trying to think of a, a, another word to use, but really sensation I think is, 
is is a good word. That's a great word. Yeah, that's a great word. You know, because yeah. it's it's you know you're taking in the breath. I take I'm taking in the breath, and it's like where am I going with it? You know, um, and it's intentional. We're, I'm talking intention. So I'm creating this uh, intentional space, if you will, and I just take a moment to resettle myself. You know, um, like sometimes even when driving, uh, it's it's not as easy as just sitting at home, right? Because next thing you know, somebody's just crossed in front of you. Some young whippersnapper, <laughs> some young whippersnapper is cut in front of you or something like that that don't know how to drive or something. But even when I'm driving, um, I've learned now to even kind of watch how I breathe. Because, you know, when we were just talking about that, we have those moments when we just, like, you know, I'm holding my breath because these, somebody's driving real fast on my left side, and it's snowing and it's raining, it's slick out here, and I know that I wouldn't drive this way, you know, but um, I'm not going to let this other person affect how I'm going to drive. I'm not going to let this other person affect what I'm going to do. But most of the time, for me anyway, I, oh, let me get on the defense. Let me suck it in. So, I, I'm this, and again, this is stuff that I'm still learning because sometimes they'll catch me by surprise. <laughs> you know how things happen. They'll catch you by surprise, you know, throwing the fist in the air again. But even just taking one breath um, can help, helps me to, 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 to get calmer. Um, recognizing that I was sucking in and holding it, even just taking that one breath where I noticed that person flying up on the left side of my window. Um, and it still allows me to be focused in what's happening. Okay. And even through the okay. day, it can be you Got that it. can help you the same way throughout the day. Yeah. So take a breath. But you're talking about a cyclic breath. You're talking about breathing in and breathing out because otherwise it's still doing the same thing if you just suck it in and hold it. So you're talking about breathing in and release, right? You breathing in and release, rather it be right. just that one breathe in and release, or maybe you're doing like a pattern of breathing in and releases. Whatever it is, it's just the point of acknowledging that that breath that you took, that breath and that taken and that release that you did, yeah, and not just sucking and, and it that in. is that a trigger, you know, whatever the practice is. But the idea is to trigger it means to breathe in and breathe out, and then whatever. Mm-hmm. Else, I'm going to do, you know, can begin to happen because the exhaling, you know. So I'm, I'm with you. I'm following. Okay, I got you. You know, so we're okay. talking about a, a cyclic breath, at least one. Yeah. Okay. At least one. At least one. <laughs> and then there's a whole other patterns and breathing patterns and stuff like that. But at least one. Got it. So um, another another uh, thing that I've another practice. That I'm working on, and this and this is just number two, you know. And those that know me, and Dad, you know me, you know. It's like, man, this is just number two. Um, is doing one thing at a time. Um, and and I'll I'll, I'll admit, you know, I prioritize tasks um, by taking it as it comes. I'm like, I can get it done. I can do it. You know, I'm gonna take this. I'm gonna get it done. I'm gonna do something else. But it's not really a, a good way of, of doing some things. And, I mean, even if it means starting a new task, I got, like, three other things going on. Um, but I'm realizing um, 
trying to take on so many different tasks takes up more time, and I end up not completing anything. Um, so when we talk about mindfulness, like what is mindfulness? What does that mean? Uh, a huge component for me of understanding mindfulness and what I wanted to share is doing one thing at a time. And I, that's why I keep emphasizing the term mindful practice. It's a practice of uh, giving your attention and <clears throat> awareness to just that one task that you have to do. If it's making so, sure you get up on time. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, so if I'm, help me out, because if I'm hearing you right, you're saying even in multitasking, it's most effectively done if I'm aware of each task I'm doing while I'm multitasking instead of letting one task distract from the other, if I'm hearing you right. Well, I've already committed to doing more than one task, right? Yeah. So I, I was. what I've been trying to do is cut down on the amount of multitasking that I've committed myself to doing. But if I'm involved in a, a multitasking situation, then I need to figure out what is the one thing that I need to do with this. Let's say it's three tasks that I'm doing at the same time. So what is the one thing that I can do to finish task A that doesn't interfere with task B? You know, and task C, but it, now you're talking about um, time management and, and things like that. Oh, okay, so, but that's still uh, right in line, right? And and prioritizing, you know. I mean, prioritizing, I'm, I'm, at least right. I'm feeling you, you know, because I give you an example. When I clean, I tend to clean several things. So, you know, instead of doing the dishes, then doing the floor, then doing the counters, or whatever order it might be in, I got, you know, water spilling off the counter, you know, dishes soaking and right. walking through a, a trail of water on the floor, <laughs> you know, right. and and not to mention the furniture rearrangement that's going on in another room. And it's like, well, okay, but that's that's a whole lot of scattered energy, you know, when the focused intent is to clean. So if I'm hearing you right, it's like, you know, man, maybe what you need to do is be more focused and, you know, busting them suds as the number one thing that needs to be done or, cleaning the counter as the number one thing that needs to be done, you know, then busting the suds, then cleaning the floor. Instead of trying to do all three at once, still to try to reach the same outcome. If I'm hearing you right, you know, but help me out, you know, because that's a tendency I have instead of staying single-minded, you know. I tend to dab in too many things at once. Yeah, I would tend to, you know, causes a lot of chaos, you know, because, you know, it, yeah. it's like now now you're committed. Now you got to finish everything. <laughs> <laughs> I need my pain. It's who I am. I've made that decision. I have to push through it. I don't care what the dilemma is. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. you don't want to right be washing the dishes and, and cleaning the floor at the same time, obviously, because, you know, if you're cleaning the floor, you're not going to get the floor clean. You know, and if you're in the middle of doing something else, you know, you're not going to get it done. So, yeah, you prioritize. 
So maybe you bust well, the Well, it might get done, but it don't have to get done in such a helter-skelter way is what I'm hearing you say. It's like recognize the fact that when you get one thing done at a time, then you know that one thing is done, you know, as opposed to having five things that need to get done, but there's no guarantee that all five will get done if you're trying to do them all at the same time. At least that's what I'm hearing you say, you know. And I kind of I, I like that, you know, that, that mindful practice to approach a situation beforehand with a plan and not let the plan become my action. You know, well, I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm doing this to get them all done. I mean, if I'm hearing you right, you know. No, that's well. That's, anyway, that's, that's I like yeah. that. If you when you come up with when you and when you come up with a plan, let me. I'm gonna ask you a question. So, uh, if you come up with this plan and you complete that that task as you prioritize in your plan, and you knock down that those these plans, um, do you take time to reward yourself or anything like that? Well, you know, I was going to say, first of all, you know, there's a sense of completion, you know, and, and that to me, you know, I, I'm speculating because my tendency, again, is to do, you know, uh, is to do several things at once and not have, you know, what you just asked in mind, you know, because the goal is to get them all done. But what I'm saying is that I'm realizing with a plan, you know, then the reward of completion can be, you know, an element of reward instead of just being glad I'm done, exhausted, soaking wet, but, boy, I'm finished. Let me go collapse somewhere. No, it's like this is done, check, you know, bang. This is done, check, bang. See, already in my mind, it's like my mind is saying, man, that feels a whole lot better because I know what it feels like when I've been when I do it the way I usually do it, you know. Yeah. And it's, it, 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 my mind is like responding to that in a very favorable way. Suddenly there's an element of calm to the idea of a suggested plan, you know, and being mindful of that going into the game, you know, instead of just having that one singular intent to get it all done, you know. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Like an, yeah. Or, yeah. an organized plan, not just a plan, but an organized plan. And and that even that that sense of accomplishment that you know, I'm throwing up the, the two fingers the the sense of accomplishment that someone may feel or that you feel mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that is that is that is that is a mindful moment you know you acknowledge that mindful moment like they happen so many things so many times but I don't just I don't think that we really uh, uh, really recognize it. You know, really don't take the time to acknowledge it, and finding mindful moments in every in everyday tasks. Um, if if I have the intention of doing this one thing, and when I know I've made that intention, I've already become aware, if you will, of the task. And and the uh, the, 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 the 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 challenge for me is. Um, Acknowledging my response to it, shoveling the snow, if you will, and having a multitask and shoveling the snow out here, uh, and, yeah. and, and um, you know, it, 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 as I'm doing a task, um, I'm, I'm following you. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you here. Yeah, you know, this is this is going good. Yeah, okay. Mm. I'm wanting to hurry up and get to the other three, man. <laughs> 
Yeah, so, I'm watching the clock ticking. Three is just what we're talking about right now, just what you mentioned, finding the mindful moments in the everyday task. Finding a mindful moment. I like that. So number one was take a breath. Just take a breath. Number two was doing one thing at a time, right? Mm-hmm. And number three, mm-hmm. finding those mindful moments in everyday tasks. How are we doing so far? Yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm being mindful of the time. <laughs> And, you know, like, I think this is just, you know, I I don't want us to have, you know, the other two or the other three or however many lingering, you know. Um, it's like I just want to be mindful of getting all five down tonight, you know, <laughs> and, and not have, have to be wondering instead of being mindful. <laughs> can, can, ask, can you give? Could, could you give yeah. four and five, and then come back and talk about you know each one? <laughs> so four, um, four. I, I acknowledge or I notice the moves or the things that I've done. I've noticed the moves that I've already made. Okay. And the last one, number five, and I saved this for last. I could have gave this earlier, but I like to save it for last, is to put down the phone or put down the device you use or turn off the computer. Okay. That's number five. No, I said Okay. <laughs> So you say put down the distraction? Can I call it distraction? <laughs> you can call it whatever you want if that's if that's what's going to put you down. If that's what's going to help you put it down, call it whatever you want. Well, okay, but I mean, I ask you that for a reason because you named something. You said put down the phone or put down, what, the computer, you know, um, put down, what, the TV, you know, or turn off I mean, the TV. I'm just – yeah. I'm yeah. I'm, so I'm the thinking phone, there must be so a reason the, to do that. Yeah, so the phone, I mean, we can say just the phone. We can say put down the phone. Take moments to put down okay. the phone. Uh, but, you know, the phone, we, we can do so many things with the phone. We wake up with it. We go to sleep with it. We've heard a lot of people talk about it. We've talked a lot about it. Um, the, it's so stimulating. There's so many things you can do with it. You know, you can watch movies with it. You can do all kind of stuff. You all know what we can do with it. And it's just this stimulation piece to it. Um, but the, the, because there's so much, so much stimulation involved with it, um, I think it allows – well, it, 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 I find that I'm tuned out on a lot of things. Like I've noticed if I grab the phone, I may grab my phone – and somebody may be talking to me, and I've, I'm, I'm realizing that if I'm on my phone, I've tuned out what that person may be saying to me. Yeah, I've noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> but you've yeah, noticed that I write it off because we talked on the but phone. I, I write you're it not off even because here I'm with your me. dad. You know, 
Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, but I you think know. you you get what I'm saying. So, yeah. I get what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I know what you're saying. But I think you're raising another point. You know, all joking aside, you know, we I, I think, well, maybe I can't say we, but I know we meaning the general population. I have internal distractions. A lot of times, mm-hmm. even though I might be talking to you, you know, you being, you know, uh, generalization, you know, I might have other things on the agenda. And sometimes, I don't know, maybe you've noticed this with others, um, I, I know that I could be talking to somebody and I can hear like rustling of papers in the background while I'm talking or shuffling around and right away I'm kind of feeling like, okay, I don't really have their attention. And now I'm like feeling a little uncomfortable because I'm feeling like I'm the distraction when they maybe have more um, other more important things to do or at least things to do that, you know, have um, – have taken priority. So, you know, sometimes, you know, out of courtesy of, you know, I may ask, you know, hey, you're busy, and the person out of courtesy may say no. And, you know, then I start talking, but then it becomes apparent that they really do have other things going on. And then it becomes a whole other conversation like, hey, man, look, it sounds like you're really, no, man, I'm good, I'm good. You know, and then now now the conversation becomes a distraction. You you feel what I'm saying? You know what I mean? You know, I don't know if that ever happens to you, you know, but um, I've, I've noticed it, you know, um, that it's sometimes, you know, there's an imbalance in dialogue, you know, where a person might call you and they really have something to talk about and you give them your und- un- undivided attention. And then, you know, they'll ask maybe, and how you doing, man? <laughs> and then you start, you know, you take the invitation but it's like, no, really, they're just being polite. Actually, they already got what they wanted, and they're really ready to go, but they want to be polite because they don't want to feel like, yeah. well, I took up your time and to give you some equal time, when, in fact, I think if I'm hearing right, you know, it, it's a matter of being mindful of of expected outcome. That, you know, thing, you know, like um, there's this is a two-way street. If I know that I got a lot of clutter going on, it's not fair to the other person to let my clutter continue, you know, while they are now added to the mix. You know, so it's to me what I'm hearing is being mindful, you know, it's a two way street. Not just being internally mindful, but being mindful of the extension as well, of the outside and not just the inside. I don't know if that's of, uh, of what recognized practice, you know, for most people. Well, you know, yeah. Go I ahead. Mean, when you say uh, of the outside, you mean of the outside? I'm thinking you're talking about outside influences, outside like, uh, you know, like things that we take in into our psyche or things that we take into our emotions. Um, whatever the stimulus, what whatever the stimulus is at the point, whatever the stimulus is, I'm, right. I'm just using as right. I'm using a conversation as an example, you know. But mm-hmm. that's just an example, you know. And, and I'm just using that as if if I'm hearing right, how being mindful sometimes will have to include being mindful of others, and not just being and and being mindful of my reaction to others. You know, yeah, not that's just uh, you react. know what 
You know what that sounds like? That sounds like emotional you know, intelligence a little bit too. Well, I thought these were all the components of mindfulness. You know, the ones you gave us early, earlier. You know, but emotional know. intelligence. <laughs> yeah, emotional intelligence was one. Um, also, uh, the emotional. What was it? The the fixed mindset and uh, and that other mindset. I don't have those notes in front of me, but you gave three components that I thought was all a part of mindfulness. That's how I put it together anyway. Oh. Oh. Okay. All right. I see what you're saying. <laughs> That's It's kind of like uh, connecting the dots with Manifest Destiny a little bit. Well, oh, connecting the dots way. with mindfulness, yeah. You know, I mean, I kind of saw mindfulness as the extension of, you know, the mindset that you mm-hmm. had talked about, you know, and the emotional intelligence. You know, it's like, you know, my emotional intelligence, you know, is really going to be the driving factor of my mindfulness. You know, if if I'm not, you know, um, very aware of my emotions, how can I be aware of my mindfulness? You know, and then, you know, even that, you know, even that, if I'm saying it right, emotional intelligence, even it is influenced by those mindsets. So, I mean, you gave me, you know, it's what I got anyway. Maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm, I'm going off on the deep end. But it's like, wow, you know, I mean, like, um, it's like a pattern here that if, if you, if, if, if consciously utilized, you know, I'm not such a random process after all. You know, there can actually be order in my, you know, in my um, approaches and circumstances in life. I don't have to yeah. be, I don't have to be predator or prey. I can be aware. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, man. I don't I mean, always, you know. Yeah I, yeah, I don't always have to let things be dictated to me. Yeah, okay. and I don't have to always dictate. You know, I mean, like, I can be mindful of the difference is what I'm hearing you say. But help me out here. Maybe I'm, you know, making a molehill out of a mountain. Well, if that's your intention, yeah. No, it's not my intention to make a molehill out of a mountain, man. I'm just trying to put the idea of mindfulness together. Be mindful of that that mountain. I bet you want to build it. You know, you might realize that was a mistake later. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just I'm tickling myself tonight. So, yeah, that was number five. Put down the phone or the device. Um, again, it's, you know, it's a, it can just be distracting. And then, again, the four. You got four? Notice, Notice the, the moves, moves that I make. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... That is, I think that to me, I I say that because uh, this is the 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 part I asked earlier about rewarding yourself, acknowledging the moves that you made, that you made or that you make, uh, acknowledging that you completed that part of the plan in your as you prioritize your plan that you knocked out shank one. 
You know, how do you reward yourself? Do you acknowledge it? Do you notice it? Um, a lot of that came from you helping me to see some things about myself. In those times when I would beat myself up, you know, at those mm-hmm. times when yeah. I uh, really wouldn't acknowledge um, the victory. You know, you saw that, that thing I put up on my stories, how I, I'm acknowledging the victories. You know, I'm creating the victories and not my de- demise. Because uh, so, I got so caught up in um, what I didn't accomplish and that I, you think that I felt like a failure, but I was, you know, like two steps, you know, from, from feeling that way. But it was really close, but I never really felt like a failure. But I felt like I just disappointed that there just still weren't things that I accomplished. Um, and this was, ladies and gentlemen, when I was living in Atlanta before I moved back to Chicago. And it was in that transition where you reminded me to acknowledge the, the, the moves that I made. You know, if I would tell my story, what's, What's a part of my story? And the part of the story is when you, uh, uh, when you've overcome um, challenges that brought you really down. Um, Amen. Yeah. You know. So yeah. But I know that's really like so, so you know it's like so it's going to take me to uh, to be homeless or to move to a place that I've never been before and 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 not have a place to live. I'm not talking that extreme, you know, but something just as small as um, if you dance today, if you exercise, if you walked up and down the stairs more than five times a day, if you spent more than 10 minutes out in the sun, um, if you had a moment where you felt centered, um, it's just about being in the practice of acknowledging that, being in the practice of that mindfulness. Um, just something as simple as paying attention to to even the feeling when you, as I mentioned, when you're walking up and down the stairs, just the way your feet are going up and down the stairs. And even if, you know, you might, you might joke that, be like, well, my feet hurt. <laughs> well, you ignore no. You know, no, I, I, um, but I think I think what you're doing is stating a case of meditation, you know, and mm-hmm. and 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 not to get lost in the definition of meditation, but use a separate use a substitute word called mindfulness, you know. So mm-hmm. being, you know, mindful of going up and down the stairs, you know, is a meditation in itself, because that involves really connecting with my body, you know, and, you know, for someone whose tendency may not be to connect with their body, like even doing exercise for the expected outcome, but not noticing how the body is engaging in that. Like even when we talk about muscle memory, it's like, okay, I'll leave it up to the muscles to remember. Okay, fine. But I can be mindful of what I'm doing that's activating those muscles. So I become an active part of this, you know, going up and down the stairs instead of just, if it's not something exciting, writing it off as drudgery, you know, and, and, and instead taking the mindfulness into consideration and recognizing, wait a minute, this is like a, this is an orchestration here. This is a concert. This is really being in tune with the working parts 
of my body instead of just thinking I'm separate and apart from it. You know, this thing, mindfulness, man, I don't know if it was your intention, but there, there's a lot of weight in that, you know, in what you call mindful practice. You know, you said mindfulness being in the now, and then mindful practice is what keeps you there. At least that's how I'm interpreting this. And if I start I looking so. at these yeah. five, yeah, and if I look at these five concepts, okay, I myself might even change some of, like you said, well, whatever you want to call it. Well, when you said number five, put down the phone. Well, the phone may not be my big issue, may not be my big item. So it's whatever I was assuming you were saying, put down the phone for a reason. And I was assuming the reason was to be able to embrace whatever the moment of accomplishment was and not let some distraction take away from a moment of completion. That's what I thought I was hearing you say. So that's what I said, whatever the distraction is. For me, the distraction would be jumping on the on the laptop, going right away to Facebook, mm-hmm. you know, right. instead of, you know, instead of absorbing a moment of completion. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know. So you would uh, be the laptop. Yeah. Yes. You know, for some, it might I, I be the, the remote to the TV. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Or it might be engaging in a conversation before I'm really ready to enter into it, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, yeah, you know, um, I mean, I, 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 can, I can recognize there have been times when I've given my moment of, of victory away to accommodate somebody else who has no idea what I just accomplished. And it's like I'm denying myself the opportunity, you know, to reward myself with just that moment of accomplishment, just to, to acknowledge it. But, of course, that would require yet another practice of dialogue with someone who otherwise has no idea this is what I'm doing. I mean, yeah. this, man, this is like a – this is cyclic, man. This is cyclic. This is, you know, very – it's not complicated at all. It's very in, inclusive, actually, to me. You know? Inclusive, that's cool. cool. Yeah. That's good. Um, so, you know, one of the, the, uh, how can I put this? Um, as I'm going through this, this understanding, uh, from, for myself, uh, mm-hmm. and in my own journey or process of mindfulness for me, um, I'm having to figure out the difference between, what I focus or how I focus my attention on things versus just being or or having awareness. Um, and I know it's not about it's not about what I really focus attention on. I know it's it's uh, you know rather um, that I just take the time to uh, consistently practice. There we go again. Yeah. Consistently practice holding awareness on the one thing, and then just notice what comes up. But it's that 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 very fine line of getting so caught up in the 
focused attention because when I get into that focused attention, that's when my mind goes, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, what about this? And that, and that, and that, and that. Um, but finding that balance and just being, uh, having that practice of of holding awareness. Does that make yeah. sense? I, I don't, okay. And you're that's explaining my the concept, so yeah, yeah, yeah. You're explaining the concept, and you're also, do, you know, you're, you're, um, well, what I'm hearing is that you're, you're using yourself as the example, you know. So I don't, I don't know if, if the requirement is that it makes sense. What I'm hearing is how you use the concept. So right well, I do hope that I, that I'm, as, as I'm being transparent, that you know, you're able to relate or understand. Yeah. You know, yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't speak for the you know hundreds and thousands of those listening in right now. <laughs> but, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I'm just the really million. digging the. Um, you, you, you've given some great buzzwords, you know, um, and you know I tried to highlight as many of them as I could. You know, inclusiveness, mm-hmm. organized plan, organizing. You know, creating victories and having awareness. I mean, you know, that's um, that's, a consistent practice. Consistent practice. Yeah, I know, man. Yeah. 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 That that's key right there. Yeah. That's my thing right there. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's key right there. Yeah. You know, that's that's what muscle memory is made out of. Consistent practice. You know, and we can, you know, we can either be a part of that or we can just, you know, tune it out. But what I'm hearing you is mindfulness means being a part of it, you know, and not just lifting weights, you know, for the sake of, okay, this is the routine, but to be mindful of, you know, the experience. Man, I'm I'm really digging this. I'm like, next time I get my bike out there on the road, man, I'm going to be more mindful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, of goals and objectives, you know, and not just moans and groans. Yeah. Right. Moans and groans. Thank yeah, you, man. So there, that's, yeah. those yeah. are just you know, just a couple of points that I wanted to share, and I'm glad we had a, time, a moment to, that we had a moment to share that with everybody. Um, well, I want to encourage you, if you feel the need to, to do a follow-up, man, you know. Um, absolutely. Maybe absolutely. T- talk a little bit more about you know, even if it's just taking one concept at a time, you know, like, you know, stopping and breathing. Man, I mean, too many of, you know, um, uh, Americans are notorious shallow breathers, you know. And I think many of our psychosomatic disorders could be compromised, if not healed, if we learn how to use the breath more effectively. You know, so I, you got me right away, you know, when you start, you know, stop and breathe, you know, yeah. I'm like, man. And and this is, you know, we, we've talked a lot about, like, how how are we adapting to in this new era of COVID? You know, how are we mentally adapting? Yeah. How are we physically, spiritually, economically? How how are we adapting to this new era that's happening right in front of our eyes? Whatever it is, you know, from a, a new president to a new train of thought or whatever, you know. 
Right on, man. Well, we got yeah. like four minutes left. So you want to land yeah. this airplane? Uh, you know, four minutes already. Uh, we were just in the thirty yeah, minutes man. ago. Holy cow! Yeah, yeah. And wow. um, so next week we got we got um, we got uh, Janice um, Muhammad Griggs coming on. I hope everybody, you know, um, comes back. Check it out. Um, and what else next do we have week on we also, oh, do we have uh, our next, agenda? Next week also we want to uh we, we didn't have a chance to do it tonight, but write your own book club. Yeah. Dang, that's right. I really wanted to dedicate a few minutes to that because that's something I'm really yeah. wanting to start, you know, the write your own book club. You know, yeah. and I wanted to just say real quick, you know, and I'm only gonna take a minute to say this. It's not another you know, um, idea of, uh, or it's not another thing that has to do with, you know, um, all of the different book writing programs that exist on the internet right now. It's not about that. This is not, this is free. And this is about, you know, um, getting the idea of telling your story on paper. I just wanted to say that real quick. And this yeah. is hands-on and this is direct, direct experience. Maybe it start out one-on-one. I don't know. Maybe eventually it evolved into a group thing. I don't know. But the idea, you know, is to um, get to that point to where you put yourself on paper. Yeah. Mm. Write your own books. Well. Okay. Thanks, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that we, we got that in there uh, real quick. Um, yeah, so who's telling your story, you know? Yeah. Telling your story, I love yeah. that. And, if, I and, love that. and the African proverb: If you don't know who you are, anybody can name you, right? All right, man. Right. That's all I'm saying about this because you got to get us out of here. All right, <laughs> the lion's historian, the lion's historian, ladies and gentlemen, Bill Green, my dad. Man, I am so <laughs> just don't know every week is crazy. I'm so thankful to be able yeah. to do this with with Thank you, me. Dad, and uh, and with all you, with all you listeners out there. New listener tonight, Purple Pill. Thanks for listening. What's up, Curious Lady? I see you in the chat room. Um, Thursday night, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, Blog Talk Radio. We're also on uh, the the shows are also archived on different platforms. So if you want to share our discussions with some of your friends, um, you know, um, it's you can either utilize the blog talk website or whatever you're you're listening to your favorite uh, music with, uh, such as Spotify, what have you. So our shows are archived. Please share them with your friends. We are open to dialogue. We'd love to get more feedback from you. We have our group page open on Facebook as well. Uh, We're also looking to support your businesses too. Please let us know how we can support you. Jan, I know Jan's coming on next week. We want to talk about her business. We had a chance to talk with Ray and Adam and their business as well. So we're about supporting each other. Um, Because I believe that we are, I believe that we are in the fire before rising from the ashes. Mm -hmm. Greenhouse effect, how can we support each other? What are you going to become when you're coming out of those ashes? So next week, same time, same channel. You all, please be safe, be blessed. Uh, Mask up. Stay warm. Stay warm. Right on. Right on. Amen. All right, man. Love you, man. Love you, too, man. Have a good night. You, too. I can't remember why I 
I lie here on the rooftop in the rain 